Immunocast is brought to you by Thermo Fisher Scientific, creators of Immunocap-specific IgE diagnostics and FADIA laboratory systems. I'm Gary Falsitano, a licensed PA with over 11 years experience in allergy and immunology. And I'm Luke Lemons with over five years of experience writing for healthcare providers and educating on allergies. You're listening to Immunocast, your source for medically and scientifically backed allergy insights. Welcome. Today on Immunocast, we're going to be talking about a cutting-edge type of allergy diagnostics that many clinicians across the country are already using, but some may have not heard of or don't have any experience with. And before I tell you the name, I'm going to tease it a little more. So this this uh, cutting-edge uh, allergy diagnostics, it, it can provide insight into whether a patient can tolerate baked or lightly cooked eggs, male or female dogs, or, or potentially even predict disease severity for patients with pet allergies, for that matter, and a whole lot more. And what I'm talking about today Today is allergen component resolved diagnostics, and we're going to be it's talking a about mouthful. Pet, oh yeah, it's it's a it's a big mouthful, and we're going to be talking about pet allergen component diagnostics specifically. Yeah, and so the other um, the other term for this is called molecular allergology, which is another mouthful. But as you know, as you mentioned, today we're going to be focusing in on just one part of these allergen component testing, and that's for pet allergen components. You know, it, it's really exciting because this is really the first widely available allergen component testing that's available for respiratory symptoms, right? We've had food allergy um, components for, for quite a while now. We have components for some other allergy-mediated uh, disorders, but these are the first widely available in the U.S. components for respiratory disease, specifically rhinitis and, and asthma. Right, all of the the typical allergic respiratory diseases or potentially allergic respiratory diseases that we we discuss and see on a regular basis. The interesting thing about these is that um, they provide a lot of additional in-depth information around pet selection, around disease development and severity, as well as being able to guide us to have better exposure reduction strategies and even guide appropriate specialist referrals. And for all those reasons, that's why, why Gary and I want, want to talk about pet allergen components today, which which is um, a blood test. But before we get into specifically pet allergy components, let's back up a little bit for some of our listeners who may be unfamiliar with allergen components as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we, you know, a lot of our listeners will have used allergen components of some type, right, in the past. But I do think we may have some some users who aren't. So, I guess probably the best way to start thinking about allergen components is really with with an analogy or two. And I'm going to throw this out there. How about these two analogies: cholesterol and beef stew. It sounds like a hearty meal in the wintertime. <laughs> Some stew has cholesterol, but I don't know if I'd want just pure cholesterol in my stew. <laughs> well, and we know that, you know, stew may not be the best thing to eat for our cholesterol, right? But, uh, you know, so, if, you know, when we think about cholesterol, right, and we know that, you know, before the 1960s, we had, you know, the ability to measure total cholesterol. And while that was informative, it really didn't give us um, any really risk stratification for potential cardiovascular disease for atherosclerosis, right? So after the 60s, um, we were able to identify and then fractionate out the HDLs, the LDLs, triglycerides, and, and really clinicians were then better able to understand cardiovascular risk. So 
just like with cholesterol and these HDL and LDL components, whole allergens and their individual allergen components provide us with additional diagnostic insights to really, uh, you know, help with not only diagnostic diagnosis, but also um, management. And, and so what you're saying is HDL and LDL is to cholesterol as allergen components is to whole allergen. You're always able to just clarify my <laughs> many words in a very concise statement. So that that's absolutely correct. So so what does this have to do with <laughs> stew? How, what's the analogy there? So, you know, it's just another way to visualize it, right? So whole allergens, if we think about them like a stew that are made up of many different molecules, which are mostly proteins, um, to which patients can be sensitized and or allergic to, right? So, you know, when someone is sensitized to a whole allergen, we're not sure what in that stew is actually causing the sensitization. So allergen components are are like the you know, perhaps the potatoes or the carrots in that stew. And knowing that someone is sensitized to just one or or more of those components can really help us kind of look at their individual sensitization profile and better predict how they're going to express disease and how their disease is actually going to affect them. And so with most uh, diagnostic allergy tests, we look at the whole allergen, the stew, and this is because Generally, it offers a, a great a greater sensitivity, but then the allergy components, aka the carrots and the potatoes, they increase specificity when when looking at an allergy, creating this this next level of precision medicine. Is that fair to say? Yeah, and you know, I think you know when we're looking at them, they really still need to be used together. Right, we're not replacing the whole um, extract allergens. Right, we're using the uh, the allergen components as a in a complementary manner with the whole allergen. So, getting as you said, Luke, the sensitivity provided by the whole allergens, and then adding additional specificity and information provided by the components. So, looking at pet allergen components specifically, wh what is the impact of them being incorporated into a practice? How can they help primary care providers or providers as a whole? Yes. So, you know, there's multiple um, benefits from assessing the pet allergen components. <clears throat> um, I think one of the most interesting ones is the ability to predict the development of disease. So we've seen studies that, that showed that children who are sensitized to three or more pet components, dog or cat or both, at age four, are much more likely or are more likely to demonstrate clinical uh, respiratory disease at age 16. Um, so, so if someone is sensitized to three or more components, again, at age four, they have an 80 to 90% chance of actually having respiratory disease, whether that be rhinitis, asthma, or e even rhinoconjunctivitis at age 16. And, and so how can allergen components help assess severity in adults or, or outside of that even? Yeah. I mean, so we see the development of disease in children, but in both adults and children, the number of components or pet allergen components that you're sensitized to at any age can be related to disease severity. So it can actually help you kind of phenotype patients on, you know, just how severe their disease actually is based upon the number of pet components they're sensitized to. And, and this can help with referrals after the fact as well. And, and, and um, you know, therapy if, if you are to refer to an allergist, understanding which patients are at a high risk and need to undergo that treatment, right? Exactly. And it can also be used to help 
kind of get patients buy-in, right, to be more adherent to recommendations. So, you know, if someone's at a very low risk based upon a small number of allergen components that are positive versus a patient who's at high risk because they have multiple components that are positive, you know, we're able to, to really kind of objectively demonstrate that, listen, you need to really you know, take this seriously, perhaps, again, being referred to an allergist for immunotherapy, perhaps, you know, even taking the most extreme measures, which we try not to do of even rehoming a pet, right? And so it, 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 while these components can really help us do targeted exposure reduction, hopefully reduce their symptoms without rehoming a pet, it may be that, you know, if they're at such severe risk, that, you know, may have to be an option to be considered. I'm glad you, t- you touched on the rehoming a pet thing, because it must be so hard to have a conversation with a patient who has a pet allergy and that's the only solution that you can see going forward to 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 help with guidance because if you're just testing with a whole allergen and it's you're allergic to dog you don't know the severity of how allergic that patient is is it is them sacrificing their family member going to make an impact because if they have to rehome and they're still experiencing symptoms. That's a tough conversation to have after the fact. It is absolutely. And I think, you know, it's, it is kind of the last resort, right? So there are a lot of other things that we recommend, you know, that you can do before getting to that, that last resort. But it is a difficult conversation as having as much objective evidence as you can to support that recommendation, I think is really important if you eventually get there. I know we've been mentioning components as this kind of catch-all term, components and molecules. And you're probably wondering as a listener, well, what, what are these components? What, what are their names? And like allergen component resolve diagnostics, they also have confusing names. So Gary, I'll let you kind of explain why we name these components certain things and some examples of these components. Yeah. And, and, you know, luckily for, for our listeners, um, there are plenty of resources, right? That interpretation guides, and we'll talk about those in a minute that, that really detail what the components are, what their names are, what their uh, meanings are. Um, but in general, they're named, um, from the Latin name for the species. So, you know, with cats, it's, uh, Felis domesticus, Felis domesticus or Fel D. So the first three letters of the genus, first letter of the species, and then a number. So, you know, what do we talk about pack? Pet components, uh, cat components like FELD1, FELD2, FELD4. We talk about dog components. And here it's named after, again, the Latin name for dog is, is Canis uh, familiaris, which is the Latin name for dogs, uh, domesticated dogs. And it's Can F125, et cetera. Um, before we talk about, though, the individual um, components like that, I do want to talk about how the, that the overall pet components can be used for pet selection. So take a guess, Luke, if I'm sensitized to cat, so I think I have a cat allergy, um, I may have a dog allergy, I'm not sure, they, we do whole extract testing. What percentage of patients do you think that are sensitized to one species, like cat, would also be sensitized to dog? Cats and dogs, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think, cats and dogs are very different. They are. Yeah, so <laughs> they are. <laughs> um, I would say 90%. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, they're a little bit more different than that. Um, we see about 73% right, of patients that are sensitized to one or the other are also sensitized to the opposite, right? So about, about three quarters of patients are sensitized, meaning they have positive whole extract tests to both cat and dog. But they're not all, all, that all of those patients are not allergic, right? We've talked about many times in the past with this podcast that sensitization does not always equal clinical allergy, right? Expression of symptoms. And this is another spot where pet allergen components can really help tease out, are these irrelevant cross-reactivities that are causing both whole extracts to be positive, or are these relevant proteins that are actually associated with true clinical disease coming from that, that pet? So, so se 70, you said 73% of patients that are sensitized to dog or cat are sensitized to both. That's I don't, no, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I threw yeah, out 90. <laughs> 73 makes more sense, but that's still very shocking because you would assume that it would be lower, I don't know, in my mind. Um, but Exactly. And like I said, sometimes these are relevant, right? They are allergic. They will end up being allergic to both, but sometimes it's not. And the, the, the components themselves can help us figure out because we have what we call species-specific of allergen components that are only found in a cat or a dog. And if those are positive, you know, then they kind of confirm along with symptoms that the patient has a cat or a dog allergy or both. And I, I know a, a little bit about the individual allergen components across, you know, food, pets, stinging insects, et cetera. But looking at pets, Gary, why don't, why don't we both talk about our favorite, <laughs> our favorite allergen components? Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you go first? What, what's your favorite, Luke? <laughs> I... I really think, I think that FELD1 is so interesting. So that's a cat allergen component. And it, it's interesting. It is a major cat allergen component. It's found mostly in the skin and in the saliva of the cat. And this is what's so cool about it in my mind, <laughs> is that it's found, because it's found in the saliva, there are specific products like anti-FELD1 products that can disable that that allergen component found in cat saliva so um for example like purina has a cat food out there that um if people feed their cats this cat food it actually disables the feldy one allergen component in yeah exactly i think i think the word there is actually bind it but it it really does infect disable it right yeah it through binding it. yeah yep. and i think I just think it's so interesting that somebody could have a cat allergy and all they would need to do would be to feed their cat this food and that allergen component doesn't affect them as much. Um, you can't get, it's not getting rid of the Feldy one, but it's just making it so it's not affecting that patient. I, I, I think that that's super interesting. W what's yours, Gary? <laughs> what's yours? <laughs> so, you know, I would say Ken F5. So this is the the dog component, right? It's CANF5 is produced in the male dog's prostate. Hopefully we don't have a female dog with a prostate. So it's only produced in male dogs. And the interesting thing about this is we often see patients who are monosensitized to CANF5. So what that means is they don't have any of the any of the other dog allergen components positive, only CANF5. As a matter of fact, we've seen studies in, in as much as 58% of patients are monosensitized. So what does that mean? They can tolerate, potentially tolerate a female dog, which I think is really pretty cool. Yeah, that's really interesting. This was probably a close second for me too, because 
can a five, the fact alone that you that a patient may be able to tolerate a female dog, if this is the only allergen component that they, they're sensitized to, that's interesting. But also, and we may talk about this on an allergy after dark episode, so we won't get too deep into it, but there's some there's some cross reactivity with can of five, right, Gary? Yeah, there, there is. And so, you know, with a lot of these components, as I said, some are cross-reactive, some are species-specific. We know that there are several things like serum albumins that are cross-reactive between horses, even cats and dogs, you know, that, that can cause positivity among all three species. But CANF5 doesn't have another counterpart, another cross-reactive counterpart in any of the other animal species except one. And I know you know what this is, Luke. So you want to you want to tell our listeners what where, where we see a uh, an amino acid sequence identity that's similar to the CANF five in the dog? Yeah. So we see it in humans, and the equivalent is found actually in PSA, and it has been associated in several papers with human semen allergies. So that meaning if uh, a woman who has a CANF5 only sensitization allergy, um, they may react to their male partner's semen because of this clinical cross-reactivity. Yeah. And it's been, you know, fairly conclusively demonstrated in several studies. And I think, you know, again, we'll talk about this more in another After Dark episode, but I I think, you know, this may even have potential implications in, you know, fertility treatment. We'll have to see. We need a lot more studies on Mm -hmm. the subject. Yeah, but but looking at these individual proteins that Gary and I just mentioned, Feldy one, CANF five, the power of knowing if a patient is allergic to just that protein is it's incredible when it comes to patient management. Because if you're just testing for a whole cat allergen, it's gonna come back elevated. But what if it was only Feldy one that they were reacting to or that they're sensitized to in that stew? of the whole allergen. And so, so knowledge, as always, is power. Exactly. And you know, you mentioned that cat food, right? So we know there's, there's this anti-FELD1 cat food. If you're not sensitized to FELD1, you know, you really, you're kind of wasting your money buying buying an anti-FELD1 cat food. So knowing exactly what those sensitization profiles are can be very beneficial. And this is the clinical value. And so Gary, when a patient comes in and is asking if they can have a dog or cat, or if they're just like, oh, I'm allergic to dogs in general, how would you approach them with, you know, maybe wanting to test with allergen components? Yeah. So even before allergen components, right, we know that a lot of these diagnoses get made based upon history alone. And we've talked about in previous podcasts on how imprecise that can be, right? So we know, you know, when it comes to dogs and cats, using history alone without any laboratory testing ends up with a lot of false positives. About 30% of the time on average for dogs and cats, we blame them and they're not actually the cause of symptoms. So testing in general is very important to correlate with the history and, and, and uh, you know, symptoms to, to get to the diagnosis. And then, you know, using the allergen uh, components or the pet allergen components to take an even deeper dive like we've been talking about is, is really, uh, you know, just part of that diagnostic process. And what's nice is that pet allergen components being a respiratory uh, allergy test, they're, they're, they are found in respiratory allergy profiles when when doing specific IgE blood testing. And they often in these profiles reflex 
So if you do test a patient using a respiratory profile with pet components and reflexes, if the patient comes back with elevated levels of dogs, dog allergen sensitivity, it will immediately reflex and then test those allergen components, which saves, again, so much time and diagnostic testing to get those patients the information that they need and to help you better manage. And it's also efficient, right? Because yep. we're not going to test those components if they're not positive to the whole extract, right? So we're not, we're not getting unnecessary testing either. And if you go to this episode's page at thermofisher.com slash immunocast, we'll have a, a link to a lab ordering guide with that respiratory allergen profiles for um, a bunch of labs that you, you may use already. So we made sure to include those that have the reflexes uh, in there to, again, save um, on efficiency. Yeah. And you know, Luke, it really is just, it's, it's just an improved respiratory allergen profile. We really mm -hmm. should be moving to, you know, if you're using res respiratory profiles, you should be using respiratory profiles with pet reflex because it really is the next evolution of the testing. 100% agree, Gary. And we'll also include on this episode specific page, a pet allergen component compendium, which is oh, this mouthful of <laughs> words today, compendium that has all the information on pet allergen components. And if you want to take a deeper dive, we'll also have on this episode's page, a interpretation guide for pet allergen components that Gary had mentioned earlier that explains a little more about these specific components, the molecules, and, and how they may affect one another and how they may affect your patients. Yeah. And these resources make it very easy to, you know, not only know what the results are that you're getting back, but be able to provide actionable information to patients to really, you know, improve their symptoms and their lives. So thank you for listening today. We learned a lot. I learned uh, that Gary is a dog guy and I'm a cat guy based off of our favorite <laughs> allergen components <laughs> that the litmus test, <laughs> maybe I'll start saying that when people ask if I'm a dog or cat person. I'm a Feldy one person. Um, exactly. But thanks can for listening. right here. Yeah, can <laughs> Thanks for listening to Immunocast. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the episode and don't forget to visit thermofisher.com slash immunocast and be sure to share this episode with your fellow providers or even patients and follow for more allergy insights for medical minds. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Immunocast is brought to you by Thermo Fisher Scientific, creators of Immunocap-specific IgE diagnostics and FADIA laboratory systems. For more information on allergies and specific IgE testing, please visit thermofisher.com slash immunocast. Specific IgE testing is an aid to healthcare providers in the diagnosis of allergy and cannot alone diagnose a clinical allergy. Clinical history alongside specific IgE testing is needed to diagnose a clinical allergy. The content of this podcast is not intended to be and should not be interpreted as or substitute professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Any medical questions pertaining to one's own health should be discussed with a healthcare provider.